Good morning. You know, the way we view the world reflects the values we hold. Have you thought about that? When we look at the world around us and, and the way we respond to it, it reflects some of the values, the way we perceive life, the way we perceive what truly matters. And sometimes the way we look at things or perceive things um, can be a distraction to us. I'm sorry, I'm getting distracted. I saw the screens go off, so I, I got to just talk out loud. I'm sorry. Uh, the way we see things, the way we view things can shape oftentimes what we think about life around us. For instance, let me, uh, let me take this glass in front of me. Can you see it? Can we going on it real quick? This is my proverbial glass. The glass is either half full or half empty, right? And depending on how you look at it, it says something about what you value. Now, the truth of the matter is it's both, right? It is both half full and it is uh, both empty. Well, if you're my science teacher, you would say it's fully full. It's full of water and full of air, but that's a whole other discussion for another time. The way we view things reflect what we value or what we even understand about our world. Like there are, there are these things called uh, ambiguous photos or ambiguous pictures. Let me show you this one, okay? Now, I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to look at this picture and tell me which animal you see first. Do you see the duck or do you see the rabbit? Now we see both, but some of us are stuck, right? Some of us saw a duck quickly and went, what, you mean there's a rabbit up there? Some of, you, some of you have people pointing out to you. Some of you saw the rabbit and they're like, oh, there's a duck up there? How can there be both? The reality is the way we view the world reflects oftentimes some of the things that we, we value most, what we hold as a high priority. Now, a picture as simple as the rabbit or duck picture is over 200 years ago. And 100 years after its creation, the psychologist Joseph Jastro decided to talk about how people's perception can sometimes even mark their ability to be creative or to troubleshoot rapidly. Your ability to adapt based on the knowledge that you gain in the moment can help you respond differently. And so for some of us, as soon as we saw the rabbit or the duck, Somebody said, well, there's a rabbit and a duck. You began to say, well, how can that be? And you, the possibilities opened you up. Some of you were so convinced that that was a rabbit or a duck, you could not see the either, right? Like, is it Yanny or Laurel? I mean, right? You know, you, you hear one or the other. You have these scenarios where we get so focused on something in our lives, we can't move on. And one of the things the psychologist even said, he said, during certain seasons, we see it differently. And that same picture uh, during... Easter, most people would see a rabbit. And during the fall, most people would see a duck. Why? Because everything around us, the knowledge that we gain in the moments that we're a part of, the experiences that we play out, they all help us form a decision, a choice that we will make and how we will live our life. And so oftentimes the way we see the world reflects values that we have things that we hold to priority and speak about how we truly see the world in and of itself. We've been talking about this idea of perception and choice and how to live out life even in difficult circumstances. The book of Ecclesiastes in and of itself has been a real book of tension. Matter of fact, I love how Daniel even said it this morning, that sometimes when things don't fit together, when they don't go right, sometimes that's the wisest situation to play out. Now, as, as humans, we don't like that. 
We want everything to wrap up. And as Christ followers, we would appreciate a bow on everything that goes right or wrong in our world. We want it to come to a closed chapter in the book. But the very thing that our hearts and our minds tell us, that something is wrong, something's not right, is perhaps the creator in and of itself verifying in our hearts that there is injustice, there is wrongdoings, there are things that need to be corrected in our world. So as we've looked at this passage, as we've looked at the book of Ecclesiastes, we've talked about how we understand that Solomon has been the one to really craft this book. And it's spoken to two voices, a teacher and a narrator. The teacher has spoken the predominant portion of this book and has really given us advice and direction and understanding. And the narrator today, we're going to see, kind of wraps up the entire book in a summation of what's been said throughout the, for all these 12 chapters. But week one, we introduced the concept of Hevel, right? And Hevel was the idea of the Hebrew word that is meaningless. It's like a mist. It's like a vapor. It's a lack of clarity. It's something that's intangible. It's meaningless. We can't quite get our hands around it. We can't quite see the purpose of it. And so over and over, the teacher goes back to this phrase, meaningless, meaningless. We talked about time and the way that we live our lives. We talked about our ambition and that our lives are more than just our stuff or our status. We talked about the randomness, the un unfairness, the injustices that happen in the world. While we try and do things right and then the things go wrong and others do things wrong and their life seems to go right. And why is it? Why is it the rain falls on the righteous and the unrighteous? It seems so unfair. And then last week we talked about the reality of death. And we can choose to approach death in a couple of different circumstances. Either we can, we can live in great concern and great fear about the unknown of death. Or we can live with this anticipating hope, a sense of wonder and awe, the anticipation of a reunion with God. Wherever you are today, I want you to go ahead and grab your Bibles, if you will. We'll be uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 12. And if you don't have your Bible with you, we'll actually have it on the screen for you that you can follow along. But Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is trying to lay out for us this wrap-up understanding. And literally, what happens in the first few verses is the teacher is resetting the standard. He is asking us, or she is asking us, we don't, we don't know what this teacher is, but this teacher is asking us to consider life under the view of the creator. We've been using this phrase, under the sun, meaning real-time, real-life, practical moments that we live. But the the teacher saying, let's, let's think and reflect with the creator's thoughts and minds. Let's think about how we fit in that whole process. And these two voices begin to hand the baton one to the other. And as the teacher kind of finishes his lesson, he finishes with this verse in chapter 12, verse eight. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. A mist, a cloud, there, there, there's just no sense to it. And I think many of us really recognize that in the world that we live in, there is so much that just doesn't make sense. That's why so many of us live for just this moment. That's why so many of us just try and get what we can while we can. That's why so many of us toil away trying to gain for ourselves and never really recognizing the benefit or the deficit that comes in our lives and what we might be missing if we would just stop and surrender and look at how God may be working in us and through us in those moments. And so the narrator begins to transition what the teacher has been teaching, and he says this, starting in verse 9. 
Not only was the teacher wise, but he also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words and what he wrote was upright and true. The teacher's words, uh, the, the words of the wise are like goads. They are collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by the shepherd. Be warned, my son, of anything in addition to them. Of the making of many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God. Keep his commandments. For this is the duty of all mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment. Including the hidden. Including the hidden thing. Whether it is good or whether it is evil. I like this little exchange, uh, but oftentimes when we read a narrator's discussion, we read it just as commentary, just as something that we need to put to the side. Well, okay, okay so he's, he's made his comments, and so let's, let's be done. Let's close the book. Let's move on. But the narrator's lesson is within the commentary. He's actually bringing out in perspective what has been happening throughout the entire book, what the teacher has been trying to emphasize. And you, you recognize that there's a level of intimacy and relationship that this is not just teacher-student, but this is somebody who's poured their life into another, and that one has applied this to their life, and they're recognizing the value by which this intentional teacher, this person has poured, has mentored, has, has shaped their life. And so, if you will, there are some lessons that we want to pull out of these, these simple comments of a narrator's reflection of his teacher. And here's the lessons of the teacher that we want to understand today. Uh, the first is this. You've got to know what to know. You've got to know what to know. Uh, the narrator looks at this passage and he begins to describe the very character of the teacher. And he says, you know what? The teacher was not only wise. Have you ever had a teacher that didn't know what they were talking about? Isn't that a painful experience? Maybe you had a substitute teacher show up at school one time and they were gifted with home ec and they were supposed to teach physics. It just didn't, it didn't blend well, did it? But this narrator starts with a very simple comment. The teacher is more than wise, not just smart, not just skilled, not just understands the topic, but this is speaking from life application. This is speaking as a teacher who has done it, tried it, lived it out, and there's so much that he understands. He has pondered and he has searched and he had studied these wise teachings. You know, it's almost like if we were to, if we were to take the test of life, the question is, is this going to be on the test? Like, isn't that the most important question to ask in college? Is this going to be on the test? Now, I, I'm going to share a short confession with you uh, about my wife and I and our dating relationship and the experience that we had. But many of you know that, um, well, some of you may know that my wife is very gifted, did very well in school. Her senior year, she was an academic All-American in volleyball, one of six in the nation chosen, okay? So she's a smart cookie, okay? I, on the other hand, had a great time with friends at college. Can I say that? Okay. And if I was to be transparent, I would have to admit to you that I am a bad student. I'm very bad. I'm going to ask you, just confession-wise, how many of you were great test takers in, in, in school? Go ahead. Be proud. Be loud. How many of you were bad test takers in school? Come on now. Come on. What, what, what? 
Okay, maybe you're not as excited. Okay. I was a bad test taker. And so when Christy and I began to date, uh, we thought we would do things romantic together, like study together because, well, I was paying for my school as much as she was and I might as well pass. So let's get this degree done, right? You know? And so we would spend time together and we, what didn't matter what class it was, it was two completely different experiences. My wife would show up for study time and she would have five, six, maybe seven real full pages of notes and then maybe a couple of extras. And then there's me. And I've got volumes, I've got books, I've got a backpack full of just knowledge and information, plus all the notes and doodles and comments that my friends pass back and forth. And I would bring this, everything but the kitchen sink, to our study time. And she would just say, okay, I'm going to study this. And, and, and I would say, okay, I got my stuff out. And we'd sit together. And sure enough, after about an hour, she'd be like, okay, I think I got it. And I'd be like, well, you got it? What do you mean you got it? She goes, well, I, I, think, I think I know what's going to be on this test. I think I'm prepared. I'll be ready to go tomorrow. I'll, just, I'll need to look through my notes again in the morning, and I'll be fresh. I am slaving over this. I am trying to memorize every page. I am, I, I, am, I am sweating beads of blood. I'm having a Jesus moment, you know, and I'm trying to get this because this is going to be ministry that I'm going to be a part of. And I, I would ask her, I said, how, how, how do you do this? It was interesting. She looked at me and she says, what are you doing? And I said, what do you mean, what am I doing? I brought everything that has been discussed in this last portion, and I want to be ready for the test. And she says, you don't need all that. I said, what do you mean? She says this. Now, all of her notes she lays out in front of me. They're organized. They're color-coded. Some are highlighted, some are not. Lists are in place. And, and if you look at every page, you can literally see week to week to week of what we've discussed and the major content. And I'm, I'm embarrassed. I have no clue. Like, I think people have been meeting in a classroom that I wasn't a part of. You know what I'm saying? I don't understand how she got the insider information. So I just simply said that, how do you know what's on the test? Now, Christy, just to let you know, grew up in a teacher's home, okay? And so she said this, if you know your teacher and you know what they value, you will understand what they will emphasize and prioritize, and you'll know what they expect on their test. Some of, some of you are A students in here going, that's it, that's it, that's it. So if I know the teacher and what they value, I will have a better chance to pick up the principles and the practices that are more important than others, and I'll be able to apply those. Yeah. That's what the narrator is trying to say here. It's not just about trivia. It's not just about knowledge. It's not just about information. It's about knowing the source by which you are getting your information and what is trying to be portrayed as valuable. So the question I have for you today is, where do you get your wisdom? Where do you get it? The second lesson we learned from the teacher is this. You got to know what to share. The teacher knew intentionally what wanted to be passed on. The teacher is described as one who, like, his words were like goads. The words were like nails that came from a shepherd. Now, you hear these phrases and you're like, well, what, what's a goad? Well, a goad was something that would be used with livestock to prod them, to move them, to get them to go a certain direction. And so when you read that, you should understand that the words of the teacher were things that would motivate us, would shape us, would craft us into someone different than we already are. But his words were also like nails, firmly in place, that they had been intentionally 
placed where they were to hold in place the very fabric by which you were to live out your life. And so the narrator is describing this intimate relationship with the teacher where he's saying, here's the deal. His words motivated me. They gave me a sense of confidence and security. They firmly placed me where I was like a shepherd. Isn't that, isn't that an interesting word? Uh, Psalm calls God our, the good shepherd, right? Jesus is described as our shepherd. It's the description of someone who has somewhat of a relationship, has the best interest in mind in the livestock. He wants them to flourish. And so specifically in our case, we think of this shepherd as someone who loves us. Scripture des- describes Jesus as the shepherd who knows his sheep, and the sheep know his voice, and together we respond. You begin to realize truth based on the relationship that you have and understanding the the way that it's been placed in our lives. It is trustworthy. It is true. But sometimes in the world that we're a part of, it is difficult. It is difficult to know what to know. It's difficult to even know what to share because there's so many resources, there's so many things out there that it's hard to figure out what is true and what is a counterfeit. Sometimes people wrestle with, well, how do I know what God wants from me? How do I know the will of God? How do I know what's true? How do I know what's wrong? I would illustrate it this way. My mom was a bank teller for a while, and she told me that simply by the touch of money, she could tell whether it was real money or whether it was counterfeit money. I said, what do you mean just by touching money you can tell the difference? Because you could put two bills side by side. They could look equally worn. They could look equally distressed. They could look equally new. And I couldn't tell the difference from them by looking at them, holding them, or, or even trying to use them. And, and she, would, she would talk about how sometimes counterfeit money gets in the world all the time, and people are using it without knowing that it's even not real money. She says, but when you handle money on a daily basis, when you're counting bills on a regular basis, when you literally feel it on the tips of your fingertips, you get a familiarity where, just by touching it, you know what is real and what is counterfeit. I think the teacher's trying to describe to us this reality of relationship that the more you know of truth, the more you recognize what's counterfeit. You know, you don't have to necessarily read everything or experience everything in the world that's wrong to know what's right. But the more you become intimate with what is true and noble and pure, you recognize What's a counterfeit? So let me ask you, where do you get your wisdom? What is the source of your wisdom? The last lesson we learned from the teacher is this. You got to know what to do. You got to know what to do. It's one thing to know what you know. It's one thing to know what to share. But it's the epitome. It's what you want to be able to do is to live it out. You got to know what to do with what you've got. The teacher has given all this information and the narrator gets up and just simply says this, but friends, brothers, sisters, be careful. There's not a shortage of books that have ideas or opinions or direction or information. Uh, Be careful of all the places that you may search or you may let influence your life. Be careful, pick the source that you're a part of. And the challenge here is not a, it's not a push against learning. It's a call to discernment. Not all resources are the same. And so he makes this comment. Now that everything has been said or everything has been seen, let's wrap up to what this really matters. Here's what it's all leaning towards. 
that here's our calling in life. To fear God and live his commandments. To fear God and to live out his commandments. That doesn't seem too hard, does it? And the teacher had, had dedicated himself to a life of wisdom and understanding. He's, he's passing it on. It's very similar to what gets said in other Old Testament books. You know, Job literally says that we're to fear God and to shun evil. Uh, we're, we're told that the, the root of all wisdom begins with the fear of God. That's what we said in Ecclesiastes. But if you're going to fear God, we know that ultimately we're called to know God. And if we're going to live his commandments, then we know that ultimately we're going to give this experience. We're going to apply it to real time in real life. But fear does not seem to connotate a good relationship with God, right? I mean, isn't it scripture that says uh, love drives out all fear, right? Isn't this one of the cliches or the connections within scripture that seem to conflict each other, right? Well, the English language, if I can tell you this, does not translate the Bible well. Because oftentimes what is written in Hebrew or what is written in Greek, the two primary languages of Scripture, are conceptual ideas. And English very much tries to, especially American English, uses a variety of words to describe a concept. And so this idea of fear is a sense of reverence and awe for who God is and what God can do. And the recognition that in all things, God is the ultimate judge. Now, we know that God is all loving. We know that God is all compassionate. We know that God can forgive things that even we ourselves can't even bear to even look at. But oftentimes we forget that God is ultimately holy. That he's a jealous God. And that there will be a day that everyone is held accountable. And so he makes this, makes this comment about here's our call. Our call, the ultimate goal of humanity, is to live out God's commandments. Matter of fact, I like how one commentator said it. He said it this way. Obedience to God is a matter of dependency on God. It is in our dependency through obedience that makes us most human, not our brokenness. Isn't that interesting? That we were created in a way that we were intended to obey and follow God. When we think and call ourselves human, what we're oftentimes just describing, the failures, the brokenness, the sinful side of our lives, right? But we were created to follow, to honor, to be obedient to God. And when we thought we were being most human, when we were being our most rebellious, when we stood up against God, we were less like what the creator ever intended us to be. But it comes down to our source. It comes down to this issue of will we, will we let down our fight for self or will we lean into the faith that we need with Jesus? So let me explain this a little bit. Just let me help you grasp a little bit about what wisdom is really being described as here. Wisdom requires both knowledge and experience. It can't, it's not just one or the other. Wisdom requires knowledge and experience Knowledge, of course, is about what we know. Experience is about what we do. But you cannot separate them. Knowing truth and living truth are the catalyst for wisdom. But here's what happens for many of us, because we usually choose one over the other. But to have knowledge without experience is careless. I mean, think about this for a moment. 
If you know what is true and you know what is right and you don't use that, it's careless. There are people that could, be, could benefit. There are people that could be changed. If you coach football and you don't teach somebody how to accurately tackle, it is careless to put players on the field. And at the same time, experience without knowledge is reckless. It's reckless. You put football players on a field without understanding their role or their position. You just let them run crazy and guys just go crazy attacking each other. It is reckless. People will get injured. And sometimes we approach our life that way where we have knowledge, but we never put it in place or, or we have an experience that we could, we could live out, but we won't gain the knowledge. And oftentimes we end up scarring ourselves. And so if we need to understand wisdom, it is found in this truth that knowledge plus experience is where wisdom is found. This is what the narrator is trying to have us get. How are we going to find godly wisdom? By knowing truth, living truth, and gaining the wisdom that comes from being obedient to God. But life still happens, doesn't it? The world goes crazy. Injustice is found everywhere. People make mistakes. Life gets hard. And we begin to spin in this, this meaninglessness of life. And we have to, we have to decide whether or not we're gonna, we're gonna spin in this weariness or whether we're gonna lean into God and trust God. And so can I give you this truth this morning? That finding true meaning is ultimately a choice. Finding true meaning is a choice. There are many people in this room who say that they believe in God. And you have gotten to the end of a road where it seems like a dead end, where you cannot seem to put the pieces together. You live in a tension of injustice and you don't understand why God's character doesn't fix what's going on. And you will have a choice of whether to say, I trust God in this situation or to just trust yourself. Whether to fight for life the way you want it or to surrender and embrace a faith that chooses to trust God when things aren't right. Here's the question for each and every one of us. Will we choose to trust God? Or will we toil away in our weariness? I want you to think about that for a moment. That's a heavy question, isn't it? And some of you are exhausted. You look like a fighter that's in the 10th round that can't even hold its arms up. And life is beating the fool out of you. And you won't throw the towel into the ring because you choose to admit that in your world and in your life, you're not the one with the best perspective. You won't. You stand and you take your hits and you cry about your bleeding and you struggle with a broken jaw and your eyes are swelling shut and you know full well in your heart there's a God that knows so much more than you. You know that in your heart that God has a greater perspective than you but you embrace your fight for self rather than surrendering to the faith of God. 
I mean, what many of us want us to do at this point is say, okay, Danny, I'm at the end of that road. I'm standing at a dead end. I can't make this decision. Can you please give me three simple steps on how to make wise choices? And then I'd sit down and say, okay, let me give you an acronym on WISE, right? Let me, these, these letters set up four decisions that you can make and every decision in your life will go the way of God. That's not what the teacher's trying to teach. That's not what the narrator's trying to say. Get this, friends, get this. The lesson here is not simply about making wise choices, but choosing a wise source. Do you get the difference? The issue is not about making wise decisions. It's about choosing a wise source. Part of the reason you get to the end of the road and you feel like it's over is because you chose a source that is not strong enough to lead you beyond it. Maybe it's yourself. Maybe it's somebody else's personal history. Maybe it's a life experience that wounded you so deeply. I love how Daniel says it. Sometimes the very tension of this world is the truth, that things are not right, that God has intended for life to be different. And until that final day comes, that God himself stands in our place and judges everything that is seen and unseen, we will live in this tension of meaningless. And we will either choose to trust God, or we will spin in our weariness. So let's move to a time of response. Sometimes we get in these moments of life where what we feel like is uh, we're just done. We throw in the towel not because we trust, but because we just want out. We just, we just don't want to deal with it anymore. <laughs> the way that the, the early Hebrews did this was when an Old Testament book finished with what seemed to be a negative response, like uh, God has seen everything, everything's been said, God will judge things, and uh, he, will, he will bring things to light, whether they're hidden or seen. <laughs> when a book of, the, of Scripture would end with such a heavy note, the Jewish tradition was to go back and read the verse in front of it. That was encouraging so that nobody had to leave the room with a sour note. I'm kind of old-fashioned. I think God wrote Scripture the way he did because he intended it to be what it is. And it is a sobering note to realize the very hidden things of our lives are going to be public before God. I mean, think about that for a moment. On an individual level, I have things within my life that I've not dealt with that I should, and you probably do too. But maybe you have a circumstance or a relationship. Maybe you have a moment that something happened in your life that should never have happened. And the whole world's going to know about it. But also what the whole world's going to know is how God's going to make it right. Those that have done wrong will be held accountable. Those who have been forgiven will be restored. 
And I think when we hear a message like this, that, uh, hey, it's not going to wrap up. It's not all going to fit in a box. It's not going to get a pretty bow. We're not going to hand out those boxes and bows on the way out. You're going to leave with this hanging suspense, like a movie that finishes the way you, you don't want to. And, and, and you're going to have to live this. That the pain that you feel today, that the struggle that you have today, that the mistakes that you made yesterday, that the guilt that you feel, it, it may all be a part of your life from here on out. Or you can choose to let down your fight and lean into your faith. I know full well, if you're like me, you have a cabinet in your heart that has a lock that only you know where it's hidden. And you get to this point in service on a regular basis, and you know who's always sitting in front of that cabinet? Jesus, right? Now, I, I know this is weird, this is hokey. Some of you maybe have no relationship with Jesus or with God. You're going, well, you got, a, you got a cabinet with a lock in your heart? And you know, no, it's figurative, of course. But some of us in this room have an addiction for the last 10, 15 years, and you don't want it to come to light. Some of us in this room made a choice in a relationship and you don't want it to come to light. Some of us had a, had a choice made to us and it's come to light and you can't get over it. And so you, you get to the end of your dead end and you're mad at God. You're mad at God. And you're saying, why isn't this fixed? That's not your character. That's not who you are. You fix it. Can I tell you something, people? If God did everything the way you wanted God to do it, God would not be God. You would. And frankly, that's a scary thought for me. So what if? What if instead of holding on to our fight, we began to embrace our faith. What if we said, okay, God, it doesn't make sense and I'm at the end of this road, but I know your character. And while my perspective today sees it half empty, sees it as injustice, what if we could find meaning today that the very thing that scarred our heart was the very thing it took for you to walk back into this room what if it was the very thing to get your attention to come back and say, maybe Jesus is talking to me. Maybe God does have a plan for me. And what if by chance, if that's the case, if your addiction or your sin or your broken relationship or the sickness that has taken over, whatever it may be, if that issue has brought you to a point to listen to God, what if today is the 10th round, the bell has been rung, your eyes are cut, you're bleeding, you can't see clearly. What if today is the day that you would say, I'm throwing in the towel and I'm trusting that God knows more than I do? For some of us, it's as simple as taking responsibility for our addiction. But we don't know how to do that. For some of us, it's as simple as just grabbing a card and writing on it I know what I did is wrong and I'm sorry and sending it to the person 
that years ago you never asked forgiveness from. Some of us in this room, we have a glossy outer side and we fake it every time that we're here. And I don't know about you, whether it's a sin or an addiction, a broken relationship, a fake outer side to keep everybody pleased and at a distance, but I'll tell you this, that toil is wearisome. And some of us are exhausted today, not because life is hard, but because we chose to carry a weight, a burden, an addiction, a shame, a guilt that was never intended for you to carry. It was intended for God to carry. So maybe today somebody's going to say, you know what? I know that what I need to do is I need to step in and I need to serve. <laughs> I'm a come and get Christian, not a come and give Christian. I, and I've been taken for a long time. I'm, I'm ready to step up and mature. Some of us today are sitting with that lock, that key, and we're asking Jesus to leave us alone. Don't grab it. Don't grab it, Jesus. What if we opened our hand and let him take hold? Opened up that wound. Opened up that fear. Opened up that addiction. For some of us, maybe it's today of, of surrendering our lives through baptism and just admitting I need to throw in the towel and I'm going to do that by surrendering my life back to Christ. In just a moment, we're going to move. We're going to sing some songs and we move because we want it to be memorable. We want it to mark us in a way that today is different. We don't want to just go through the motions. And so some will come forward this morning to pray and I will encourage you if you come to pray, pray for the courage, pray for the conviction, pray for the willingness to change, to confront the one thing that you have held on to that you know you need to let down. Many of us will go to these tables. We're reminded of the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus. That's our source of truth, that Jesus, who died on a cross, bore our sins, paid for our sins, gives us life everlasting. And so as we eat the bread and we drink the juice, we don't just reflect on what we've done wrong or what we've been forgiven. We reflect on the mission of Jesus, that this is our life too a life of surrender, a life of reconciliation, a life that steps out into a world to be light in darkness, to be the one to lay down our lives so that others might see the true love of God. And yet others of us will go to our response boxes and maybe we'll, we'll mark on our connection card a decision of faith, a confession that we've never told anybody, a prayer that we want somebody to join with us and we'll put it in those response boxes because we want to make sure today we don't leave without responding. And others of us will use that, that same box to give of our tithes and offerings or choose to use the giving instructions on our program through the Give app, but we will respond. And so today, whether it's an addiction or a sin or a struggle, our pride, our glossy outer side, our, the way we use money, the way we handle our health, the way we can, whatever it may be in our life, may we have the courage to surrender today, to put down our gloves from the fight and to lean forward into our faith that's only found in Jesus. Let's stand and sing.